0: Uh, today's scripture reading is from Judges chapter 3, verses 15 through 23. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Girah, a Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent by tribute, or sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud, who had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, Silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone, in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated.
1: All right. Thank you, Chris. This is indeed the word of the Lord. Um, He wasn't supposed to read that passage. I don't know what he, we're in the Psalms actually this morning, and he's just, no, we are in Judges um, 3, and I'm really excited to get into this. We um, are, are excited for this series. This is our second week in the book of Judges. Um, I'm going to intro Judges just to kind of bring us all um, up to speed again quickly, but um, before I do or as I'm doing that, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Judges chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, hold your hand up high and keep it up. También si necesitas la Biblia en español, solamente siga espanol. Um, and so we say that every week, we want someone to be able to have a Bible in their own heart language and read and understand uh, what God's saying. And if you, um, if you, again, if you need a Bible, hold your hand up high, don't be, don't be shy, because um, we want you to have a Bible. If you don't own one, keep this one, um, mark your name in it, and especially for this next about seven or so weeks um, you know, read over Judges, because um, as a church here, we love to read through books of the Bible and submit ourselves to to what God communicates in his in His Word. And so, um, we, uh, we now we, when we say that, we're not like we don't want to be identified by what we're not. Like we're not against what you may have heard as like topical preaching. We're not against that. In fact, a few times a year, we will you know specifically hit on a few subjects that God has really called us to to speak into, but by and large, we've just embraced coming under God and his word and preaching through things like this that we would likely not just choose, right? Like what we just read, that's not one that you would just be like, I know, I want to preach through Judges chapter 3. Um, in fact, when we decided to go through Judges, we brought in a scholar, a guy who's, who's devoted his whole life to studying Judges. He's written commentaries and books. We brought him in to teach some of the redemption pastors on this, and he was like, of course, no one ever wants me to do this I'm excited to do it and he flew in here and he went through it and then he said why would you guys call me here and we were like well we're going to preach through judges and he was like why <laughs> and no he was excited about it and stuff but he, he still was like man this is hard because this is not your Sunday school version okay this just a, a warning this isn't like let's read about Samson you should be more like Samson um that's not the way this whole thing goes and so um What we'll see time and time again in Judges is what we talked about last week is the very last verse of Judges gives like the theme of the whole book. In chapter 21, it says, there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And so the tragedies that we'll see time and time again is that because there's no king, because there's no ruler that submits to God um, over Israel, people are just doing what they want to do. And it's eerily similar to the world that you and I find ourselves in today. And so when we come humbly before God's word, we see, wow, that really applies to us today, individually and corporately and societally. Man, we, we, have a lo- we need to come before God. And so what we'll see is a cycle if you will, there's a cycle that we'll be walking through that comes time and time and time again. And it's that the, the, the people of Israel, the people of God, find themselves in, in their cycle in the, in the first part. Number one, they sin. They forget what they've known. Generation from generation, they don't pass on what it looks like to surrender to God and to live under his good rule and reign and so the people sin and then from there um, God sends an oppressor and they are oppressed because there's consequence of life lived um, apart from God and they're oppressed for a season and then eventually finally they're like enough's enough God help us and they call out to God there's supplication and then God faithfully time and time again sends salvation he sends a rescuer and then from there they go into a season of rest and there's a period of rest and then at the end of that rest the whoever God sent to deliver the people dies and then again they forget and then they find themselves back in the cycle again and they sin again and that's what we're going to be walking through each time you see the cycle continuing and 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 let me just call us out right now because it's really easy for us as we approach this to be like, those stupid Israelites, man, they're, um, they're dumb. Like, how do you let a, a silly fat king rule you? Like, how, like, why would you do this? Um, why would you be in this place? Well, if, if, let's just be real. If they were to look at our lives today, they might be like, you silly Westerners. All these idols that you give yourself to, all this technology all these images, all these false gods that you surrender and submit yourselves to—how how could you be ruled by such things? So, as we approach this, like we need to be humbled. And um, I just want to want to share a couple things. Um, with you that you might be wondering why are we taking on such massive chunks like we're going to cover over two chapters today we did over two chapters last week we'll cover about 40 verses next week and um, well we're doing that because we want to stay true to the way that God writes the narrative like the way the story unfolds we want to do that and that's in these bigger chunks so all that to say I want to encourage you to read judges maybe you've never read the Bible consistently we'll read it like week in and week out read where we're going to be each week in that aforementioned email that that we send out um, we'll put what we're going to cover the next week so so look at that read read over it know what's coming and um, we can't cover everything but again we're covering the the main the main themes and the main the main parts and I'll just say again if you have your kids in here um, it's leave it to your discretion okay because this is definitely at the very least PG-13, right? Like I said, this is like 1980s PG-13, like scary stuff is going on here. So use your own discretion as we, if you're, if you have your kids in here, because um, what we'll see is we're going to see some funny stuff like what we just read. We're going to see some straight up weird stuff. And then we're also going to see some downright horrific stuff. It's very appropriate to the world that we live in today. So, again, let's come humbly. Let's ask God to lead us through this time and to speak to us through his word. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that you have given it to us as we need it. Um, Lord, thank you that, that you didn't just say, oh, you're in control. You're in charge. Just pick and choose and copy and paste whatever you want to know about, but Lord, we, um, we come humbly before your word, and Lord, we, um, we confess that, that we are prone to have no king and to do what is right in our own eyes, and so uh, the good news is that you are the king, that you are the ruler, that you are the creator, that you know what is best for us, and so Lord, we pray that you would convict us and compel us to live our lives in submission to you, and Lord, we uh, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we pick up in chapter three here, where we ended last week, if you remember, we ended in verse eleven that Othniel, or I'm um, sorry, Othniel, the king of or the son of Kenes, died in chapter three, verse eleven. That was the first cycle, the deliver that God sent, and then right away in verse twelve we see the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord um, sent this king of Moab, Eglon, who we've already heard about him um god, god God gave him um, uh, raised him up as an oppressor, and so he brought the thunder down on the people of Israel, and He called his friends the ammonites and and the Amalekites and these different um, these different non god fearing entities raised up and they came and they attacked israel and so now we pick up in verse fifteen um, or, or sorry we 're picking up now in verse um, In verse 14, the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So they were oppressed. And we'll see as the cycle continues, the length of oppression gets longer. The magnitude of their calling out and crying out gets even worse. The oppression gets uglier and uglier. And so they're oppressed now this time for 18 years. And then in verse 15, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They've had enough. The cycle has continued. Their own sin and the consequences of their sin became more and more real to them. And they're like, God, we need help. And so the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, as we read, the son of Gera the Benjamite, a left-handed man. Um, how many of y'all in here are left-handed or like me, like partially left? Hold it, don't be ashamed. Hold it up high. Okay, so there's not a lot of us in here. Now, some of you might be like, I'm mostly left-handed. You know, I do a couple things right-handed because it's cheaper, you know, golf clubs and baseball gloves are easier to find than right-handed, but mostly left-handed. And we joke about that in our day, and you know, left-handed people, the only ones in their right mind or whatever we say. But um, in this day, that is not the way this went down. The fact that the deliverer that God raised up was left-handed would, would pique everybody's interest. Because actually, the phrase left-handed actually means wrong, <laughs> it means wrong-sided, right? Like, you know, like, left side, strong side. Like, if you know football or you've ever seen or remember the Titans and these things, no, well, the way they said it was right side, correct side, um, left side, wrong side. Like, that's just, you don't want to be from the left side. In fact, even of God, it says that God rules from his right side and it says that Jesus we're told sits at the right hand of the son of God and all the language of things that are good and powerful and wise has to do with the right hand and the left hand is is not right it's wrong and specifically the language here uses that this guy Ehud likely was actually disabled he was likely not even able to really even use his um his right hand and so he was dependent upon using his left hand. And so the fact that anyone would read this and would be like, that, that's not right. But his, and guess what Ehud means? Son of the right-handed. <laughs> so, so it's like he's a walking paradox, this guy. It's like, it's like if you ever see like a big giant guy and everyone calls him tiny Right? Or you have a, you have a little, little chihuahua and you name it killer or something like that. Like, it's like a walking paradox. Well, that's, that's this guy. That is Ehud. His, um, his name means something that he is not. He's wrong-sided. Nobody would choose this guy to be their deliverer. If Ehud stepped up and was like, hey guys, yeah, I can't use my right hand. I'm wrong-handed, but follow me. I'm going to go and deliver you from this oppression. Nobody would follow. But God uses what we often perceive to be weakness for his glory and his purposes. And he shows his strength in the way that he wants to do it. And so that's, that's where we find ourselves in the story that Chris just read, right? And guys, it's okay to admit, this is just funny. It's funny. So this guy Ehud goes and he brings a tribute to the king Eglon. And, and, and he's allowed to get close because of his disability because you know he would come and anyone bringing a tribute and wanting to go before the king would be frisked right and so he goes he gets frisked right hands on the wall whatever he's getting frisked but no one would have their sword on the on the right side because you as a warrior you would use the hand that you would use to come across and get the sword so you could use it quickly and so in his case the sword is on the right side but since no warrior would be left handed, they just checked the 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 left side where the sword would likely be. And sure enough, there's no sword. So they're like, okay, sure, come on, give your tribute. He gives the tribute and he goes up and, um, and then everyone's with him. And then he says, oh yeah, wait, um, I have a word from God for you. And again, they would be like, yeah, right, you just want to get close with the king. But the king, Eglon, right, and just picture him, right, he's on his throne. He's just kind of sitting there. And um, Eglon's like, all right, go ahead, everybody out, right? Like this disabled guy, this, this, this weak guy, he can't do anything to me. And so everybody goes out. He's alone with the king. No one else would have ever found themselves in this position. And then he says, I have a word from God for you. And so Eglon gets up and kind of stumbles over to him. And like a ninja, right, Ehud's like, bow, gosh, left-handed, you didn't see that coming, pulls out the sword, boom, sticks it in his stomach, and he's, his fat goes over the sword. And he's like, give me my hand back. And he pulls his hand back, leaves the sword there, and yes, it says the dung came out, okay? We're adults here. You know what dung is? It's poop. You can giggle. It's okay. He said poop. The Bible says it. Poop came out. And this is just funny and gross and so Ehud's like, I'm getting out of here. So he goes, he shuts the chamber doors and locks it and walks away. And he's like, I wouldn't go in there, you know. And so he leaves and the people, um, Eglon's, like, Eglon's people are like, oh, what's going on there? So Ehud has time to get away. He runs off and he flees. Again, do you see the wisdom of God in our silliness and our brokenness? God uses someone from the wrong side, a walking paradox, to bring about his deliverance and his purposes. And so... What happens there and the way it unfolds is Ehud gets away, he runs away, he has time to get away because the servants of Eglon are like, they're nervous and they're like, what do we do? Do we go in there? And they're like, I I smell something, he's probably, and it says he's probably indisposed, he's relieving himself and they don't want to go in there and the doors are locked and they're like, man, what is he? So finally, over time, they build up the courage, they break in and they find him and they're like, oh my goodness. Well, all the while, Ehud has time to go to sound the trumpet, to raise the people up, says, come and follow me. God has given us deliverance this day. And again, no one would usually follow this guy. But because of what God has already done, going before him, using him to bring deliverance, the people follow. And they find deliverance from their oppressors. And you see that God uses the broken, unlikely things in our world to accomplish his purposes. And hopefully this is encouraging and maybe convicting to you. Because guys, we're just like this. God doesn't share his glory. We say often here that we take God seriously and not ourselves. Like just very simply, I had an example right now. When I don't know if anyone else was with me there, but when we read through that that confession together, I was that guy that kept on saying something. Like I thought the slides still changed and everybody else stopped. And and I'm like, well, it's okay, right? We take God seriously, but not ourselves. Like I'm like, if you're ever at the Arizona football game or something, everyone chants like U of A. And is anyone with me here? Like you get anxious because you're like, when's everyone gonna magically stop? And I'm the one just still yelling out like U of. Oh oh oh, uh, right like you know so that's um but but those things like there's a freedom and that's a silly example but there's such a freedom in following God because we know that we take him very seriously but not ourselves that he uses the paradoxes that are us in our lives and we see that most clearly pictured in Jesus as we walk through in the whole advent season going up to Christmas we saw that God delights in using the unlikely circumstances that he chose to take on flesh and to come into a broken world to a young virgin girl in a really poor family in a really poor town in a really unlikely way at a really unlikely time to bring the ultimate deliverance to the world and so that's what we see here in this context and then The cycle, though, will continue. And I love, I'm just going to briefly mention verse 21 there. Uh, Shamgar gets one verse. Like, Ehud didn't deliver fully as none of these deliverers do. They're all pointing to the ultimate need for a deliverer who will not die, who will deliver in full. And so um, uh, Ehud didn't get the job done fully, and so Shamgar is raised up after him, and he kills 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And then he also saved Israel. So he was also helped Just he gets a verse there. But then, chapter 4, verse 1. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Are you getting sick of that yet? Because it's going to keep happening in your own life. In the life of someone in your family and where you find yourself. do Do you get sick of the cycles that we saw up here? that just continue time and time and time again. God, this will be the last time. I'm coming back from church camp. I'm coming back from an emotional high, wherever it might be. This is it, God. Fall to our knees. Plead. Make empty promises. And then as the cycle goes on, we'll even see with Israel, they, the, their, their promises become less concrete because they start to know, who knows, maybe I will go back to it again. And the cycle will continue. But this time, God raises up a deliverer, another unlikely deliverer. He raised up somebody for them that they wouldn't have seen coming. In verse 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah at Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came out to her for judgment. So again, we don't really recognize what's going on here, but God went from a left-handed deliverer from the wrong side to a woman prophetess and judge, And, and this would not be normal in their day. Women didn't get treated respectfully. There wasn't a lot of high regard for women in their day yet we see that this woman Deborah was clearly used of God she was clearly a leader that he had sent to bring judgment and wisdom and yet she's different from every other deliverer that we'll see because she's not a warrior she doesn't use her strength and her bronze she doesn't use this but she uses her faith in God and her dependence upon him and her wisdom to bring deliverance to the people. And what we'll see, though, unfold is that God uses many people in this specific context. It's not just one. It's not one hero. It's not, it's not Ehud with his sword and doing all this. It's he uses all kinds of different people. And so Deborah, though, in her role of authority, speaks to a man named Barak. And she calls Barak and says, Barak, um, God has raised you up to be a deliverer. And so she says, um, you're supposed to go and you're supposed to lead the people of, of God to find deliverance finally from these people because we see that, um, that the king of Canaan has been oppressing them. And we're going to see at the end here how awful this oppression has been. And it gets worse and worse, much like the cycles of sin, guys, that you and I find ourselves in. It gets, remember what we said last week? It's not a merry-go-round, but a what? It's a toilet. The cycle of sin is not a merry-go-round. It's not just little games. That the more and more we get used to the sin that we embrace, the, the, the false gods that we submit ourselves to, the uglier and uglier it gets. And, and, and so that's what happens here. And it says that um, this guy actually had a commander of his army named Sisera. I'm in verse, um, verse 2 right now. Sisera and uh, he lived in a place. I'm not about to go ahead and try to announce or pronounce all these things. But it says, The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for Sisera had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly, for over 20 years and again that's used because no matter how many foot soldiers you had even if you had thousands upon thousands of soldiers 900 iron chariots would cut I mean think like Mad Max here in the thunder like this this would just cut through foot soldiers like butter like so 900 iron chariots is like man there is no hope for the people of God and then who does he raise up he raises up a woman and they're surprised by this and yet she's not going to physically deliver the people but she has a faith in God and she's exercising judgment and then she calls this man Barak and, 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 is, and, and is told you're actually going to lead the people and um, right here in verse 6 she says go gather men at Mount Tabor taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and people of Zebulon. And I will draw out Sisera and the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river, Kishon, with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hands. So she's saying, not that she's going to do that, but this is what God's saying. She's saying, I have a word from the Lord, and so go do all these things. And let me just quickly, as an aside here, because some denominations, some churches throw out... Prophecy, like, really easily. Just real, like, ah, I got a prophecy real quick for you. I got a word from the Lord from you real quick. And we do not doubt that God continues to give us um, word most, but it always, 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 100% of the time will fall in time in line with His word. It will never, ever contradict his already given inerrant perfect word and so um, we just better be really careful if you have a word from the Lord a prophecy it better be a prophecy because the fact that this woman is a, um, a fact that Deborah is a prophet means that everything she says God says must be 100% accurate because if you said that you had a prophecy from God and it didn't come true the consequent was death. So nobody just threw it, ah, I think I, you know, I ate bad carne asada last night and it may be a word from God, it may be that, I don't know, but I'm just gonna throw it out there anyway. No, like we better be careful if we say we have a word from the Lord unless it's coming directly from his word that has already been given to us. And yet she knows this is what God has called Barak to do. And so she says, raise up 10,000 people. And then in verse eight, something interesting happens. Okay, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So again, Deborah is honored, right? We want to we recognize that. She's a prophet. But she's also, um, it's sort of like she's like, man, something's going down outside someone's got to do something you should go out there and save them right and so she's like I'm not about to go out there and physically you know deliver these people so she's not necessarily the hero here and then Barack, though is like well okay I'll go out there but you come with me right like you hold the flashlight and we'll you know we'll go out there together you know and um that's what's kind of going on here and some people think this might be like she just put Barak on blast because in verse 9 it says I will surely go with you, but nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Oh, dang. No, she didn't. Right? And we're like, man, you know, she just kind of like called out Barak. But that's not what's going on here. What we'll see more clearly in chapter 5, which by the way, chapter 4 and chapter 5 are actually the same story. So we're, we're not going to walk through chapter 4 as much. Chapter 4 is actually a song. It's called The Song of Deborah and Barak, and so I'm actually going to call my wife up here, and we're going to sing that song for you. We're going to have a little duet. Um, No, you don't want that. My wife can sing. You don't want to hear me try to do that. But um, So so chapter 5 is a song, and as we'll see, though, laid out there, she's not calling out Barak. She's not saying, like, man, you wuss, fine, I'll go with you, but, you know, she's not calling them out. She's prophesying. She's saying, okay, you're right, I'm not the hero, you're not the hero, God's the hero here, and in fact, the deliverance, he's gonna come, because I know how men can be, right? They wanna steal the glory, they wanna wanna tell the story and then insert themselves into it somehow to build themselves up, and so just so we're clear here, no one's the hero, and so she says, yes, I'll go with you, and I think Barack is showing his faith here by asking her to go with him. He's showing his humility before God, he's saying, God has raised up a a woman who no one in my culture would acknowledge as a sent deliverer of God's people, yet he clearly has raised you up. So I will go and you need to come with me. And then she prophesies and says, so you're not going to get all the glory just so we're clear on this. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'll still go. I'll still go with you. And so they go out, right? They march out. And then I'm just going to read this part. Because they go out, it says in uh, picking up around verse verse 14 and 15, right? They go out. So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots, those 900 chariots. And this is all going down. And then there's like a pause in the story. There's like a, you know, like, say say by the bell, like, time out. And then something else happens here. Man, how many of you have seen say by the bell? Just so we can. Okay, a few of you. Um. Good, you young kids today that don't know good shows, um, that have inconsistent storylines and all that, but shaped many of us. Help us, God. Um, so just like that, there's like a pause in the story, okay? The people of Israel are going, they're marching out, the 10,000 10, warriors are coming, Sisera's routed, and then the author here, just to show. What God's doing kind of pauses the story, and I'm just going to start reading in verse 17 because I'm not even going to try to explain this. So Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazar and the house of Heber the Kenite so just to kind of make sense of that quickly is this is an Israeli traitor okay this isn't this this person and his so this is a non-Israelite woman a pagan woman who's the wife of a traitor someone who betrayed Israel and um and and turned their back on Israel yet God uses her and calls her to be faithful to God and his people. Even her sin he uses for his purposes. And we'll get into that in a moment. So that's just who we have here. So this woman, Jael, pick up in verse 18. Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent. And she covered him with a rug. So she's using a little bit of feminine wiles. She's manipulating Sisera, right? This is scary Sisera, 900 iron chariots. This guy is, he's tough. And she's like, hey, and she, he, he respects her and trusts her because she's not, is from the, from the people of Israel. So he trusts her. And so he turns aside and he's like, okay. And so he lays down and um, he says, In verse 19, please give me some water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink, and she covered him. And as he's laying down, getting snug, you know, hiding out, pulls over the rug, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, and we'll see, this guy does not hold women in very high esteem. He says to her, stand at the opening of the tent. Okay, how about thank you, like I just gave you refuge. But he's like, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, okay, earmuffs, okay, if you're in here and you're under like, I don't know, 18. Um, So she takes a peg, a tent peg, and a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the tent peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. Man, this is ugly. And this is Real. This massive, incredibly fearful, terrifying general, Sisera, comes and this, you know, pagan woman, wife of a traitor, has an opportunity, uses all kinds of sin, all kinds of deception, calls this guy into her tent, calls him to lay down, he lays down, and she goes, grabs a tent peg, and takes a hammer, and jabs it through his head, through his temple, into the ground. And I love God's word here. Just in case we weren't so sure, in verse 21, so he died. <laughs> oh, thanks for making that clear. I didn't know. I was wondering how it all ended. Like, I was wondering if Sisera got up and was like, what gives? You know? He, just in case we didn't know what happens when a tent peg goes through one side of your head and out the other into the ground, you die. So... um, the other reality here is that we would miss things, okay? Anytime you read God's word, you got to dig in. And, you know, if you want a commentary, that's why we study in groups and we learn these things together, is that though a hammer and a tent peg in our day sounds pretty intense and pretty manly, these were actually, in their context, it would be like saying, you know, took a crocheting needle and whatever, and some thread and, you know, killed, you know, killed this great warrior, took him down, I'm sorry hipsters I know I know that crocheting is cool and you know we knitting beanies and things like that is very manly but in their day this kind of these kind of things would not um, would not bring to mind like manliness and manly tools because usually building tents was something that women did, that the men came in, and they did their thing, and the women set up the tents, and so a tent peg and a hammer would be associated with women. Again, so that theme of God using women, unlikely, unlikely people, and so she jabs it through his head, and he dies, and so then now the story, right, like, Timeout has ended, right? We just saw what happened to Sisera. And now Barak comes running up on the scene, right? He's like, you know, chasing down Sisera, his whole, all the chariots, right? They're on the run. He's chasing him down. And then Jael comes out, all like sly. And she's like, um, I know who you're looking for. And I know where you can find him. And so Barak's like okay okay where like let me know where do I find Cicero? and she's like in here he's in here and you just got a picture that you know Barak's like got his sword out and he's like Shh, okay I got this I got this and he's like going in and he kind of peeks around the tent and then he sees this ugly scene and like you got to think he like looks at jail. like what kind of who are you and he sees this whole thing and he puts his sword away and is like man I feel sorry for your husband. I hope he sleeps with one eye open. Like, that is just (laughs) wrong. And so they see this whole scene here. And again, that prophecy that Deborah said was right. Barak was used by God, but he's not the ultimate hero. Deborah was used mightily by God, but she's not the ultimate hero. Jael in her sin, even a pagan, a non-Israelite who worships false gods was used by God but she's not the hero and just to be clear it's not like God condones this sin and these things but this is a theme that we see time and time again is that somehow a sovereign wise God who has written his story he's the author and the hero uses the sins of broken people to accomplish his purposes and his will and that is never ever an excuse for our sin But it's all the more a cause for worship to see that God is on the move and that he will use whatever he wills to bring about his plan and purpose of delivering his people and establishing his kingdom once and for all. And that's what we see here clearly. We see that God uses the messiness that we embrace to bring about deliverance and healing. And so again, clearly, there's no hero here other than God. And that's the reality of our story too today That's the reality of our lives is that he is the hero, that he will use us, he will use even sin, he will use brokenness to accomplish his purposes. And so it ended there. And they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan, and they found rest. But then in chapter 5, like I said earlier, a song comes out. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. And then it goes into the song. I have no idea what that song would look like or that melody. Maybe you can take it on your own and read chapter 5 and make up a song. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that would go. But somehow this is a song, the song of Deborah and Barak. And we see a few things, though, that I want to highlight here. We see, as I said, we see that God delights in using the people that we think are unlikely and that should not be used. In this case, God uses women. In chapter five, the word God is used like tons and tons of times. In chapter four, it's more of a historical narrative, like this is what happened, this is what happened. The, uh, the whole tent peg ordeal, right? All these details are used, but then in the song, the, the reality of the true hero and the true deliverer is used. And, and, and the word of God, the name of God is used time and time again. And also the fact that what we'll see here is that, is that we'll see sins against women. We'll see, we'll see um, God using women to bring deliverance. We'll see the theme of women actually talked about much more here in, um, in chapter 5. And so in a, just a couple of places, um, specifically first in, uh, in, in verse 7 there, it says this about the deliverance that God has brought. It says um, it "says the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. And, and it says the Illagers cease. This is again just, this needs to be a wake up call guys to us that the language is used there that the community of God's people worshiping him together communally that 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 the the charge to pass on from generation to generation listen if you're single in here and you're a part of a redemption community or you don't have any children or perhaps you're older and your you know children have gone away and they're not here um the charge to pass on the good news of what it means to be God's people and to follow him and to live under his good rule and reign it's all of us. It takes a village, and that language is used here. And, and, and it specifically says that when the villages ceased, they needed deliverance. You guys, when individualism rules, sin will reign. And we live in such an individualistic society everything even in our own families and our it's all about me 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 what i want we live in a consumer driven even in our church i'm gonna go here i like the worship music there i like the teaching here i like the you know the gluten-free communion crackers here which we do have by the way because we love everyone and want to just make you be able to take communion and not even have to worry about it so we have gluten-free communion whatever it is like though we we don't want to buy in though to this consumer-driven individualistic nature that we have we need to not be afraid to call it like it is and so and so when individualism reigned sin took over and the people needed a deliverer deborah and then it picks up though down in verses 24 through 26 again the people that god used the the fact that this woman is used it says in verse 24 most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of heber the kenite of Kent." Of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. Again, to any good Israelite person, that is like a complete paradox. That's like saying a smart um, sun devil. Sorry. Okay. But it's for them, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, I, my in-laws went to ASU. I love you. I'm seeing people in here that went to ASU. I'm sorry. I confess. Please forgive me. So. It says, though, someone who is reading this would be like, that doesn't make sense. A tent-dwelling woman, most blessed among women, even most blessed in women, those two things didn't go together. And then it goes on. It says, um, it, re- it remembers the story. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg. Did she ever? Um, and then it just continues. But the language is used there of God using women. And I just want to take this upper. As a church, just moment and I might get some questions or some emails if you want to ask me about this, but um as a church here, we want to go out of our way time and time again to affirm in any way that we can um, the, the use and the and the good honor of, of God's image bearers in every way. And so we want to go out of our way to affirm that any role that women in leadership can take, we want to affirm that. Because we also take on a, um, a, a position that we believe and we hold very tightly that the Bible teaches that men are called to the role of elder and so we do have a male eldership and as we prepare to install some elders down the road that's our prayer this year and and i anticipate walking through this conversation more if you become a member or you come to our foundations class you might ask about that and we affirm headship in the home that that men are called that in the very beginning when adam and eve sin uh, even though you know eve sometimes gets told right like oh eve was the first one but who does god call for first Adam, where are you? Adam, where were you? He calls the man, the husband, to give account. And so we affirm that and we esteem that. But sometimes that pendulum swings to an unhealthy place and you'll see us go to places that the Bible doesn't go. And even in our society here, you see often that women don't get affirmed and that the, the proverbial pendulum that swings from law and license and from, you know, liberal and conservative. And so we want to come and submit ourselves to Scripture. And what we see here most pointedly is God clearly affirming his image bearers, specifically in women. And just to use the word progressive, this would be very progressive for its time, that, that this language would be used in, in, in this time of how much God is using women to bring about his deliverance of his people. And so we want to celebrate that. And so though just, again, to kind of sum that up as a church, what this means for us, is any role that a non-elder male can hold, we want to affirm and have women do. So, you know, teaching in Sunday schools in different contexts, coming up here to lead in our, in our call to worship and our communion and all these things. And so I just see this as an opportunity to affirm that and to share that. Um, so again, if you have any, any, any questions on that. But let's continue in the story as God unfolds it. Because we can't miss that and we can celebrate, man, God uses a left-handed guy. God uses a bunch of different people, unlikely people. And here, clearly, God is affirming women in his plans, in his purposes, in the leadership of his people. And then, before we close, I just want to point something else out. That there's a theme here of God using women to bring deliverance, specifically of women, because, guys, something that we miss is that when we embrace individually and societally oppression in all its different forms, there's a theme in who gets oppressed and who gets most, um, who suffers most. And it's usually the marginalized It's usually the underrepresented, often socioeconomically, ethnically, and yes, in gender. Often women are the kind of the overlooked recipients in times of oppression. And what's going on here is we learn about what kind of evil was going on under the oppression of God's people. In verse 28 there, I just want to read this because now Sisera's mom is looking out the window. And again, I, I imagine if this was in song form, it would be really powerful. But in song form, we learn here that, that his mom is wondering, where's Sisera? What happened to my baby boy? And so it says in verse 28, in 28, out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice Where is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariot? Her wisest princess's answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. And guys, we could so easily read that and miss that these women have grown jaded the horrible horrific effects of sin when it is given free reign that they're just like hey men will be men they're out doing their thing some of you might have the niv version in it in it um translate that is not womb it says a girl but the right translation is a young girl or a womb as this the ESV translation says or or more pointedly a sex slave that sisera and his view of women, that in this, in this way of life, when sin rules and reigns, they, they have a, a sex slave ring going on. And so these women, and even Sisera's mom, are calling out, and they're like, oh yeah, remember, they probably found a couple of women to abuse, to kind of take advantage of. And what we see there is just how jaded we can become when we grow numb and complacent to the horror of sin and what does that look like in our day come on guys will be guys right Sowing our wild oats looking into you know looking at a little pornography just kind of hey you know you got to do it right you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas no it doesn't it never does We think that when we sin, right, this whole thing, everybody does what's right in his own eyes. And our version of that is this. As long as nobody gets hurt. Hey, my 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 religion, my belief is everyone can do whatever they want to do as long as nobody gets hurt. And that sounds like a very tolerant, a very nice way of saying something. And what it's saying, it's a lie. It's allowing us an opportunity to believe a lie that nobody gets hurt. That we are full of an auditorium and a city and a country and a world that is full of homes that have been broken because dads have believed the lie of, hey, as long as nobody gets hurt, I'm going to go do my my own thing, or, or, or moms have left, or, or 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 pornography is given full reign, and it just, the cycle continues, and it leads to this kind of thing, and I just heard on a sports talk radio show this week, someone making fun of, on, I'll just say it publicly, on the Dan Patrick show, who I often listen to, they were literally laughing at the prudish belief, I, I don't know, something happened at a, not at the Super Bowl, the halftime show, but they were literally just mocking the conservative response to, you know, um, indecency and to, you know, exposure and all these things. And they were literally laughing at what we see, though, is the reality of sin-given full-reign always continues and people are hurt and thankfully we have a God who remains engaged and who cares enough to take on flesh, to enter into the mess and to bring deliverance and that he uses women to bring deliverance to this terrible, horrible atrocity that is um, sex slavery. And I pray that God would convict us, that we would be slapped between the eyes, that we would repent that we would confess that we would become aware of where we have grown numb and complacent to things that are absolutely horrific as we see right here and so God brings deliverance and he enters into the mess of his people and that's the theme time and time again throughout judges and most pointedly here is that God has every reason to turn his back and to say, man, you have built, you have made your bed, now you can sleep in it. But he doesn't. He cares. He loves. He always answers. Though we are fearful and faithless, he always remains faithful. And so guys, as we close and as we respond to this, as we see that God uses unlikely people, that God uses our messiness to bring about hope and healing, that God uses even sin to continue to bring purpose and meaning to ultimately bring restoration. Let us end in response that thankfully we live in a time where we have a symbol, a cross, where we see that God doesn't just stand afar, but he took on the oppression, he took on the mess, he takes on the brokenness to bring healing, where you and I have grown complacent He has remained present. Let's respond in prayer, in confession, in desperation. Lord, we thank you for the deliverance that you have brought. Um, I didn't actually even really even plan on ending the sermon there. But uh, Lord, I think you have us in a place right now where... um, Lord, we need to cry out to you. Even as we sang the song right before this, Lord, we cry out to you. We need you. Lord, we confess, I confess, how easy it is to make light of sin. As long as nobody gets hurt, is such a lie that we all believe. And Lord, we just say things, we embrace horror, and it becomes so common to us that we use Phrases, perhaps not as obvious as those women did. They said, oh, each guy found a couple of wombs, a couple of sex slaves. Don't worry, they'll be back. Lord, would you enter in? Lord, would you expose sin? Would you, would you lead us first, Lord, to a place of repentance? And then from there, would you lead us, Lord, to, to be used by you as broken people who have found healing not by ourselves, but only by your finished work on the cross and your victorious resurrection, would we now become agents of change? Lord, we respond. We love you. We need you. We pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.